0: Oh, I uh, was very uh, just kind of uh, intrigued. A man came up to see me this morning after the nine o'clock service and said, uh, is your wife here? And I said, yeah, I'm Pam out. And he went over to her and he said, the, the Mother's Day tea, can, can men come to that? And she said, um, oh, I, I, no, I don't think so. And he goes, I really want to hear you speak. So he got a ticket. So he's coming. Um, <laughs> today is a very heavy topic. Let's pray and we'll get ready to talk about it. Father, I pray that you would just give us amazing clarity and insight into something so serious and, and that we need to deal with. Lord, you, you brought it out. You share it in the Sermon on the Mount. You want the truth to be what guide us. And I know when we know your truth, your truth sets us free. Lots of people in this room need to hear this message directly. And, and God, I pray you'd help them to, to take it in in, the, in a way of grace and a way of love and a way of healing. And, uh, Lord, we pray that we would not uh, ever veer away from the truth that you call us to. So, God, where uh, healing needs to come, bring healing to those who've been affected. Where uh, guidance needs to come, bring guidance to those, Lord, who are maybe dealing with this very directly and and very, uh, uh, very presently. But, God, most of all, just let us hear from you now. I ask your spirit, come, reveal yourself to us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has been talking about some very heavy things. Uh, why? Because he begins it by saying, I want you to live a blessed life. He wants it so badly. And he comes and tells us that there are attitudes that we have within ourselves that come shining out of that, that that it will change us and make us to be able to grab hold of that life that we always wanted to have and he wants for us. Part of the Sermon on the Mount begins with these words, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. Jesus is saying this life can be yours. And the blessed life is found when we're connected to God in a very real way. And I want to have you think about that. Are you right this moment in an intimate, amazing connection with God? Well, that's real. But it also is about connecting with others in very healthy ways. And we live in a very dysfunctional society. So Jesus warns us and says, don't be angry because anger creates the opposite of blessing. The opposite of blessing is loneliness. And he says, I don't want you to be lonely. So don't be an angry person and don't drive people from you and don't put up big walls and don't find bitterness and grudges being inside your heart and life. And he says, just don't let that be there. Don't be insulting. Don't be demeaning because verbal abuse is so painful. He said, don't be that kind of person. Then he says, don't be filled with lust and don't be adulterous. Because lust and adultery, that also creates loneliness. And by the way, anger, adultery, and lust, if we embrace them within ourselves, not only do we become lonely, they're victims. There are some of you today who are the victims of that. Well, it probably doesn't surprise you. The next thing he says then is, let's talk about divorce. Because when people divorce... It's never just one person who gets affected. It's affecting our society today. We're going to talk about that. God says it affects the land we live in. Our nation is weakened by it. It affects the the people involved directly, the husband and the wife. And almost always in that case, one of them doesn't want it. They want desperately to hang on. They want to try to make it work and they can't do it alone. They hat takes two. So there's a victim. The person who... uh, uh, is the promoter of divorce in that moment. They're going to be affected too. And then there's always others. Far too often they're children. So last week I talked with a man who's in his late 30s. And he said, Chuck, when I was 18 years old, my dad called me into a room and told me he was committing adultery and leaving our family. He said, I, I'm not over that. He said, I cried. I, he goes, I cried like a baby when I heard that. He said, to this day, it affects me and affects my life and my family. He's wise enough to know that. Um, I talked to a grandmother who said, Chuck, because of divorce, I don't have a relationship with my grandchildren now. She goes, it's not like it should be. I try to see them. I try to be with them. She goes, I didn't do anything. But now we're not close because they just won't let me near them. And her heart's breaking. We were sitting in a group. And uh, talking about this message and getting ready to pray over it. And all of a sudden I looked up and there's tears. People crying because this has directly affected them. One of the people sitting in the room looked at me. And and if you had asked me that she was carrying wounds and pains, I had no idea. She's done a really good job of making sure she's gone on with her life. But she said that the kind of abuse that was on her home, the kind of, of hurt, that led to divorce, and she said, I'm hurting. And she said, it, I don't want that to be in my future. I don't want that to be who, and she goes, I, I dread holidays. I dread family holidays. I don't like any of them. And she's crying. You know, uh, it, it, we need to understand there isn't one person in this room that hasn't been affected by it. And so we need more than ever Jesus' truth. And like I said, there may be somebody here today who said, you know what? I know the pain and the ache and the hurt and the loneliness and the despair that springs. I know it way too well. And there's probably a part of you that says, man, I just wanted so badly for it to be over because it was like a death in my life. We know it hurts. And we don't want to miss the reason Jesus deals with this because he doesn't. He doesn't want us to go on without healing.
1: can open my eyes, cause I don't want to walk out that door, there's no easy way to get through goodbye, I'd probably try and walk you in to stay once more. I should tell you that wish you luck and say
0: So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, calls out strongly that we need to have a real understanding of what divorce is and isn't. And in Matthew 5, verse 31, he says, Whoever said, or it was said, whoever sends her wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Uh, Jesus was talking in a time that divorce was very easily and very often obtained. Probably at a rate even at the same or greater than today. And uh, he is talking about this amazing pain and he's calling out and saying, what are we doing? And he says, I know that you guys are saying, well, just give her a certificate and have it be over. And he said, but I'm telling you, it can't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. I don't want it that way. Too many people get hurt. The woman who's sent away, even in the second remarriage, there's going to be pain. And the Lord says, we don't want this for you. And he said, I just am telling you, you've got it wrong. By the way, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 19. I want you to notice the Pharisees struggled with what he said. So much so that they come to argue with him about it. And Jesus begins to point them in a whole new direction. And in Matthew 19, verse 3, it says, Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? In that day and time, all they they did is a man wrote a certificate and handed it to the woman and and sent her out. By the way, in that day, women could not divorce their husbands. Uh, The women were without protection. And all of a sudden, the husband in any moment could just come down on her and kick her out. She loses all right of inheritance, all right of income. And and they said, but isn't that what's allowed? Isn't it even for just any reason? And verse 4 says, and Jesus answered and said to them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. Let no man separate. He said, I want you to know that when God created marriage, he created it for a purpose. It, it, it was the beginning of the fabric of true society and relationship. Before there was a government, before there were nations, God created marriage to be the foundation of it. By the way, I want to tell you that's lost today in the discussion amongst politicians and courts in our country. And Jesus said, don't you understand how vital it is that we understand that the very fabric of society is based on a man leaving father and mother and cleaving to his wife. And the two being one, a blessed union of God. And he said, what God has joined together, let no man and not even a court separate this. The idea of being one is to be bonded together in such a way you can't be torn apart, at least without extreme pain. uh, That without something being left behind. The the word is actually used of the idea of scrambling eggs. If you take two eggs and you break them and you pour them in and scramble them and then and then cook them. If you separate them, they're always going to have a piece of the other. And I, I don't, can't imagine there isn't somebody in this room, there's no one in this room who would disagree with the fact that if you got married and you divorced, that somehow there's not some pieces left behind and some tearing and wounds that came with it. And you just don't get away from that, Jesus said. So the great call is for you and I to understand what God has joined together, let no man separate. So they challenge him in verse 7 and say, they said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now it is interesting. The Pharisees now are twisting the Torah. Nowhere in the Torah does it say that there's a command, give her a certificate of divorce. No, you could search all that you want. The only place they're halfway alluding to is in Deuteronomy 24, where it says that if a man marries a woman and then gives her a certificate of divorce and she goes and marries another man and that man gives her a certificate of divorce, her former husband cannot take her to be his wife. Or if that man dies, her former husband cannot take her to be this wife. Because that would create an abomination in the land. What that is saying is women are not to be treated as objects. They're not to be traded in or cast aside. God is saying, I need to protect the land from this. Because it ruins the nation. It hurts the children. Now, we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But guess what? That never, ever said. There's a command to divorce. Somehow from that, they got this idea of this amazing thing that God says, well, if you don't want to be married, then just I command you give her a certificate. And and Jesus said, what are you doing? He says, don't you understand that God, through Moses, permitted divorce? He permits it. He doesn't want it. He's not even sanctioning it. He said, God's sanction comes from the two being one. And he says, I want you to know that if you head down that road, there's a a Grave sin attached to it, but he said, "I'm going to let you know God permits it for one reason, because of hardness of heart. In other words, no matter what the other person does, if you can stay soft-hearted, there's hope for the marriage. Now, I'm not saying this in a in a callous way, so let me just go ahead and try to get this out here. Look, I know every situation's different. I know sometimes wounds and pain are so deep. Or you've tried so hard. Look, we're not trying to cast stones here. We're really not. But we're saying that God knows our humanness. And he'll permit this. But he doesn't want it. There's a higher way. There's a better way. There's a great desire for God to see marriages stay together. And so that's what he wants us to do. That's how he wants us to hold on. And and he's saying, I need you to understand how important this is. The desire of God is that we stay committed to our marriage. He does permit it, but he wants us to understand that that unless uh, certain things occur, we should never even entertain the thought. Jesus in Matthew 5, if you're back there with me, said, except for the reason of unchastity. What is he referring to here? Well, it's very different than in our day. In that time, in the time of Jesus and all the way back to Moses, what happened is that most marriages were arranged. And and right prior to the marriage, the the man who would marry the woman would go to her father and he would say, I want to marry your daughter. We've already had an agreement on this and I want to deliver a dowry so that I can now marry her. And the father would make an acceptance of that and they would schedule the wedding ceremony. And the two would come together in front of all their neighbors and friends and village and they would be pronounced husband and wife. And then the wife would go with her family to her home. The husband would go to the family with his home. And for the next year, around a year, they didn't see each other. While the husband prepared a place for them to live. And then when he was ready, he would give a very strong hint to the father that he was coming. And they would prepare the wedding feast. And he as the groom would gather his groomsmen and they would come. And they would see each other mainly for the first time in a whole year. And they would hug and they would kiss. And they would go to a place to consummate their marriage, waiting for the wedding feast to begin. If he were to go into her and say, you're not a virgin. Then he had the right to say unchastity, I can't marry her. And he would come out and declare, I can't marry her, she's not a virgin. And her parents, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 13 to 19, would be given 48 hours to prove she was a virgin. And, and, and if they could do so, then a great fine was levied against him for insulting, and most likely he would be forced into marrying her and never, ever divorcing her. Now that's what Jesus is referring to. He said, "I want to tell you the minute the honeymoon happens, the minute consummation occurs, God is saying don't ever walk away from each other. He's saying I want you to be together. I want you to hold on to each other." Now, now obviously you have got to be some of you asking, "Well, does God ever permit divorce and remarriage?" And he does. He does. In Matthew 19:9, 9, which we just looked at, Jesus said, uses a different word than in chastity. He uses the idea of pornea or sexual immorality. A physical sexual immorality occurs. A person could forgive that if they choose to. Usually it's adultery. You could choose to forgive and work on it. But if, if you're hurt so badly and wounded so badly, then you know what? The Lord permits you to, to, to divorce and then to, to get healed and to remarry. Uh, another reason in First Corinthians seven twelve to fifteen is if the person's deserting you, and and that specifically is more over faith. It says if you're a believer and the non-believer does not want to stay married to you, then you need to let them leave, and you're not under bondage, and you would have the right to to go on with your life at that point, and maybe marry another. Uh, uh, Deuteronomy twenty four one to four, the verse I referred to, if the person you're married to goes and 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 marries someone else, you would have the freedom then to remarry. Now, now here's where we're going. If there's any kind of sexual indiscretion that breaks that bond, then God says you could choose to heal it or you can choose to go on. And what I want to encourage you to think about is this. There's a, a, a saying I heard, and I think it fits where we're at today. It says there are two procedures that should not be started prematurely, embalming and divorce. Right? And, and, you know, I want to tell you, if you've ever been in a counseling session with me or one of our other pastors here over this issue, man, we always say, hey, put on the brakes, pray about this like crazy, take your time. This is the last thing you should rush. And if you ever get to be with me, you know, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to say, if you're at the place you're hurting so badly, you're not sure what to do, then why don't you take two years? Even if you're separated, you take two years to get right with God and see what he does. You might say, well, that seems like a long time. Well, you know what? In the eyes of God, it's not that long a time. And it's better to be right with God and get healed and know you're doing the right thing than to rush through this. But the Lord's great desire is to redeem and restore a marriage, to keep us together. I think it's worth saying this. In Deuteronomy 22, 28, and 29, the law of God, the heart of God says that if a couple has premarital sex, they're never divorced for any reason whatsoever. If a couple's had premarital sex, the teachings of the word of God are you're never to divorce, ever, for any reason whatsoever. It says if a man finds a girl who is a virgin who is not engaged and he has sex with her, and lies with her and they are discovered then the man who lay with her shall give to her father 50 shekels of silver and she shall become his wife because he has violated her and he cannot divorce her all his days never now god looks at this because he sees marriage is too important he sees love is too important and he knows don't miss this he knows the consequence of a couple who divorces and the pain they go through and how that ripples throughout families But he also knows how it affects the community of people. And so God takes a hard line on this because he loves us, not because he doesn't. And he says, I don't want you just to walk away. Now, again, I'm not trying to say anybody here who's gone through this would take this lightly. As a matter of fact, anybody who's a believer that's been in the midst of a situation like this would say, Chuck, if I had it any other way, I would do it different. But I'm just saying, let's get the heart of God on this matter and not miss it. I am. A few years ago, I had a woman come to me and she said, Chuck, um, I heard your teaching on on what the word of God says about divorce and remarriage. And she said, "I, I need to be really honest. Man, I'm hurting because the husband I'm married to now, I didn't have a biblical right to remarry. What do I do? I mean, clearly not divorce, right? And I said, no, 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 not that. I said, but here's what you should do. Number one, you need to confess to God, you and your husband together without trying to make excuses, without trying to justify what happened. Just go, God, we did the wrong thing. And we want your message on our, our, your blessing on our marriage so badly. We're asking you give it to us and we did it wrong. But now, God, we pray you'd make it right. We pray you'd renew it. We pray you'd redeem. Then I said, the next thing you need to do, this wonderful woman, I looked at her. I said, you need to go to every person who's been involved by this and ask their forgiveness. And then you'll find a freedom. Well, her and her husband, godly people, they got together without making excuses. They confessed what happened. And and God began to touch their hearts. Man, it began to bond them like they couldn't believe. But the first person she went to was her son. She said to him, I I need you to be home tonight. I got to tell you something, man. He said, what is it, mom? And she said, I need some time. So he, that night, was home as soon as he could be. And they sat in the living room. And she looked at him. And she said, I have to ask your forgiveness because I divorced your dad for the wrong reasons. I should have I should have worked harder. You know, back then it wasn't as easy, but I'm not making excuses. I did the wrong thing. And I need to tell you, your stepfather, I, I, I didn't have God's blessing when I did it. And and now we're asking his forgiveness. And she said, I want to ask your, and he starts to cry. And her son said, Mom, you don't know what this means. I'm with you. I'm for you. you but you don't know how much it means to me that you would... You'd share this with me. Now, I want to tell you that we need, to, we need to get ourselves in the hands of God. We need to trust in him. We need to let his truth set us free. We need to let that happen. And I know life can be painful. I know people can even be evil. And there's probably a few of you in here who are asking this question. Okay, you didn't mention Abuse. It might surprise and even shock some of you that the Bible does not allow remarriage in the case of abuse. Now, you might seem, you might think that's wrong and you might say something's missing and, and people don't understand. Well, I'm telling you, unless that person goes and breaks the bonds through sex with someone else, abuse is not a, a permissible reason scripturally for remarriage. Now, it doesn't mean you should not separate. It doesn't mean you shouldn't get protection. You should. And, and you should make sure you're in a safe place and your children are, if there are children. But what I'm saying to you is, is God knows what he's doing. And if you got into a marriage that turned that bad and you were hurt that badly, I, I want the, the, the fact that God doesn't address us must tell us that he knows that healing needs to be that big. And it's not to create bondage. It's not to put you in a place where you can't find blessing. But let's just cling to the truth of God. And I want to promise you, I know God too well. He loves us too much that he doesn't have your best at heart. As a matter of fact, I want you to hear God's heart in the matter. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 to 11. It says, but to the married, I give instruction, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. He said, I'm just saying, don't do it. That's the heart of God. In Malachi, the, the people were realizing something. They said, something's wrong. We're not finding God's blessing upon us. We're not finding his protection. Something's wrong. And so they come to God and and they they come to Malachi and they say, tell us what we're doing wrong. We have to know because we're trying to reach out to God, but we're not connecting with them. And in Malachi 2.13, that's what happens. God speaks through Malachi and says, this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears and with weeping and groaning. Because he no longer regards your offering or accepts it from favor with favor from your hand. And you say, Lord, for what reason? It says, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. He says, because you're divorcing her. Because men are treating women that way. He says, listen to this. It says this. Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously. Though she is the companion of yours. And your wife by covenant, you had a wedding vow, but not one of you, verse fifteen, but not one of you has done this who has a remnant of the Spirit. Do you, you, did you catch what he said? He said nobody ever led by the Holy Spirit divorced. Nobody led by the Holy Spirit enacted divorce. He said no one. Know that. And it says, what did that one do while he was seeking godly offspring? Because you wanted. You might have even said, but I'm doing this for the children. He said, no. You've got to understand that's not the way. And then it says, take heed to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garments with wrong, says the Lord. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. God says it's a treacherous thing to do. God says it, it, it covers the garments with wrong. The Hebrew word there is even violence. There's a violence to divorce. And he said, you think you're doing this for the kids? He goes, notice what's happening to your children. It's not, not raising up godly children. As a matter of fact, uh, in our country, we know that. 50% of children who are born in households in the United States will be the victims of divorce. 50%, one out of two. One out of 10 of children who are the victim of divorce will see three divorces in their life. And uh, marriage success. Cites a study that says this children of divorce are more likely to need psychological help than if they were in a home that experienced the death of a close family member. Now, don't miss that. There's so much pain in divorce, it says that it creates a higher likelihood of needing psychological help to get over their divorce than if they had the death of a close family member. God says you're just covering your garments with violence and wrong. Children of divorce are 50% more likely to have health problems. Children of divorce, six years later, reports show they tend to be more lonely, more unhappy, more anxious, and more insecure than children who don't go through divorce six years later. The healing's not there. Children of divorce have a more difficult time forming relationships and have a higher likelihood of divorce themselves. God looks and says, what are you doing? Because there's victims when it comes to this. And again, again, I just need to say this. We're not casting stones. You might be sitting here going, if I had a choice, I wouldn't have done it. Some of you might say, you know what, Chuck, I know it's wrong, but I can't take it back. And I want you to know God brings healing. Some of you are sitting here saying, I'm the one who got hurt by this. God brings healing and he brings hope and he brings redemption. But we know there's hurt and pain in this. And that's why God says, just don't do it. Just don't do it. I uh, uh, found out about a 16-year-old girl whose father... Uh, was committing adultery and left the family. She was trying to figure out how to get her dad to understand the pain she was feeling. He just seemed oblivious to it. He said things to her like, well, I'm always going to be your father and nothing will change between us. But it did. She remembers the day he brought her into the living room and told her that he was leaving. And she found out it was with the woman the family knew and he had been lying and betraying them. And that just seemed to, to, to drive a knife in that wounded her even deeper. And she cried and said, dad, don't do this to us. Don't leave us. And he kept saying things like, well, I don't love your mother anymore, but I'll always love you. And it wasn't that he didn't somewhat try, but it just could never be the same. And she wanted to get, she wanted to get the message through. And so she wrote him a letter. And the letter was based on a a tradition that they had had together. You see, the job he had allowed him every two years to get a brand new car on the company. He could pick out pretty much any car he wanted. And so from the time she was in kindergarten on every other year, he would tell her, today's the day of the new car. And she would know that, man, he was going to pick her up from school. And he would drive up in it, and she would wait and wait to see what it would be. And then they would go out and have a date together. And she looked forward to that. That was one of her favorite moments in all her life. And she said she loved it. She loved what it was like for him to get in the, her in the car and her to smell that new car's smell. And for him to drive along talking so excitedly about this car has this gadget and that gadget. And she said there were a lot of times she didn't care about the gadget. But what she cared about was how excited he was and how much it thrilled him. And she said she never ever felt closer to him in moments like that. So she wrote a letter that said, Dad, I know you said you'd always be my dad. I know you said you'd always be there for me. Deep down, you know you're not. And I miss you. She said, I know you remember that you used to pick me up in that car. And I loved the feeling of being in that car with you. I loved how secure I felt. I loved how wonderful it was, how exciting it was, how thrilling it was, and how there would always be something new coming that would be good. She said, today, I don't have that anymore. She goes, when I get into the car with mom, even though she tries to get by, she's sad. And the car doesn't smell new, it smells musty. As we drive along, we're not always sure it's going to make it. And I don't feel safe and I don't feel secure. And I don't have a whole lot to look forward to. She said, I feel like that mom and I were driving in that old car. And we came into an intersection and I looked up and a car was barreling down towards me and I knew it was going to hit me. And I could see the driver of the car was you and she was in the car next to you, not me. And it was like you didn't even see us. And all of a sudden you plowed into the side and our car spun out and flipped over. And I found myself lying on the pavement, hurting and in pain. And my leg had never, ever experienced pain like that throbbing. And I laid there wanting you to be the one to come help me to help me get up, to help me feel better, but you never came. And I looked over and saw mom and Jeremy, my little brother. So I got up, and I've been trying to help them. Do you know how hard it is for a 16-year-old girl to try to carry her mom and little brother through times like this? She said, Dad, I'm going to make it. but There's going to be lots of times that something's going to happen that will make my leg throb again. And there's going to be a lot of times in my life that I'm going to make it. But I'm going to be limping. And I just want you to know that. She wanted him to get the message. Jesus wants us to get the message. Divorce. Divorce hurts. It creates loneliness and pain. I want you to know in John chapter 4, Jesus is dealing with this very issue. And if you would turn there. He's talking with the woman that knows the pain of divorce all too well. As a matter of fact, it's interesting because she's in an area that Jesus would not normally go to. But Jesus loved her so much he couldn't stand not being there. And what happened is, is a place called Sychar and there was a well there. The well was where women would gather to socialize. It was the place of friendship, the place of connection. But this woman, because she had literally been divorced five times and was living with a man outside of marriage, was an outcast of her society. By the way, I want you to think about what that means. Five men said, I don't want you anymore. Handed her a certificate and threw her out. The man she's with now won't even marry her. And so now nobody wants to be around her. And so at noontime, the hottest part of the day, the most uncomfortable part of the day, the loneliest part of the day, she would go to that well so no one would be near her to ridicule her, attack her, ignore her, and shun her. This woman's lonely. And as she comes up the path, there's Jesus waiting for her. He had to be there, it says. There was a, a must compulsion to look at her. And as she walked up to him, he looked at her and said, Would you give me a drink of water? And she was shocked by that because in that day, men did not talk to women. He was a rabbi, a rabbi especially wouldn't address a woman, much less there was a racial divide that was like the Grand Canyon between the Jews and the Samaritans. And he's reaching across all of it, wanting her to know his love and his compassion, wanting her to know something, that you're here today for water, but you're thirsting for something else. And I want to satisfy your thirst. I want to give you a life of meaning and invigoration and joy and healing. I want to take you away from being used and abused. I want to take you away from the pains of the past. And I want to give you something you've never had before. That's what God wants to do for every one of us. So what happens is he says, give me a drink. And in verse 11, she says, sir. uh, uh, In verse 11, he says, if you knew the gift of God, who it was that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. And she said in verse 11, sir, you have nothing with which to draw and the well is deep. Where then are you going to get living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. And Jesus said to her, don't miss this. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Let me tell you what's happening. A lot of people are going around trying to find something to satisfy their lives.